Hello, I'm Greg. Let's have an inappropriate conversation about the sound of disorder, the voice of the minorities in our society. The lion is awake and ready for his jungle. What is that jungle? Equal rights and justice. And if he doesn't get it, he's going to take it anyway and anyhow. So you better give up. We want our piece of the pie right here.
than not during this Sound Dove series, I've had the same performing artist as the bookend for both the introduction and the outro, but a couple of times now, including this one, it's going to be more of a thematic tie-in, and more of a mu- music genre idea, meaning that this is the one and only track that I'm sharing today from Jimmy Cliff, and it wouldn't have to be the only one. If I chose to, I could have picked other songs to lead us out from the same album. This is 1983's The Power and the Glory. And I could have chosen We All Are One, for example, or the title track. My favorite song from that album is Love Solution, but the one that applies most here to this voice of protest and resistance is Piece of the Pie. And I heard Power and the Glory first, a couple of years after 1983. My parents had gone on a cruise. The cruise was Caribbean and included Jamaica. And in buying gifts for their kids along the way, this was, at the time, the newest and best-selling album in Jamaica, the latest release from Jimmy Cliff, which they didn't like at all, so they were more than happy to give it to me. It wasn't a piece of the cruise that they were going to remember the cruise by. In fact, I don't think Jamaica left the best impression with my mom at all. But as I was listening to the music, I could understand why maybe this was not her cup of tea. Not just reggae as a musical genre from a sound perspective, but also the ideas. Uh, As my parents got older and older, they became more and more of a mindset that was not necessarily on board with the idea that it was crucial that we give a voice to people in our country who have been, for systemic reasons in many cases, held on the shallow side of the pool. And I don't think that there's any question that when you look at the experience of black minorities in America, uh, over Americans' history, predating the point where we actually were a country, We clearly have a set of people who have had to overcome a great deal even to be wherever they're at right now. And what you tend to see, and it's something I'm going to complain about throughout this Law & Order-focused episode, is how often there's a ton of available, quality, peer-reviewed statistical data that we can look at and say, this is actually what's happening And people are so quick, people of my parents' generation are so quick to just sweep sweep all of that aside and attach to one anecdote of something that happened in Tucson, Arizona three years ago as the actual truth behind everything that can be known about that issue, whether it be crime statistics, number of illegal immigrants committing crimes, or the murder and uh, violent crime rate, or the number of rapes committed, or whatever it may be. Latching onto a single anecdote seems to have some sort of power, and that in turn can be used to justify a great deal of unnecessary and probably illegal and either way unacceptable police violence. I'm going to start this inappropriate conversation in a couple of ways that are different from the rest of the sound ofs I've done so far. I'm going to do a callback to an inappropriate conversations in the past that generically applies to this entire show. (laughs) Um, I'm not necessarily going to look at the different drummer from that episode and say, that's a musical influence we're going to hear more from. 
No, we'll, we'll have examples of that, and I'll cite them when we get to them. But no, I want to cite Inappropriate Conversations number 157, Letting Justice Roll, January 2015, as the overarching kind of callback for the entire episode. It was in that that I looked at all the things that began bubbling up in our society in 2014, particularly August on, but that would persist all the way through 2015 as well, that was you know kind of calling out that we were probably not leveraging our available data wisely and well in understanding uh, the instances of police shootings of unarmed people, uh, understanding that from a racial demographic perspective, and deciding if we couldn't do better than we are doing today with that. Part of the reason that I've been trying to do the specific callbacks to past inappropriate conversations, whether the focus is on the different drummer or the focus is on the topic, in this case, by month, is that at the website at inappropriateconversations.org, the right navigation bar has in it a couple of ways you can search for previous shows. The top of these is categories, and those categories are grouped by a set of sort of almost occupational themes, and it's ways to find different drummers. You can search for different drummers, whether they be athletes or authors, film directors or musicians, by picking the appropriate category. And obviously, in a lot of cases, I've been dealing with different drummers who cut across many of these, so they might actually have more than one tag to them. But the other is the archives section, which is grouped by month. So for every year and every month in the history of inappropriate conversations, all the past podcasts, including Walk the Earth podcasts, are there. And if you know the month that they were released, it becomes really easy to go and find them. In this case, I just went to January 2015 to make sure I understood whether the different drummer for Inappropriate Conversations 157 might play a role in a sound of protest, sound of opposition, in this case, the sound of disorder episode, focusing on law and order and justice. And no, the uh, Old Testament prophet Amos is not going to be humming any melodies or throwing any music lyrics our way. Um, not that that would be beyond the realm of possibility. There, there will be callbacks, perhaps, to the themes of justice rolling down like a mighty stream, but I think they're going to be more subtle than that. They won't be overt. The other thing I want to do that's different from the ones that I've done here recently is I want to spend a lot of time talking about mention-only artists, and not just like spending a lot of time on Rush, like I did in the very first one, and kind of getting them out of the way as a group I wouldn't be sharing music from directly, but but who matters? Now, this will be a wide variety, and I feel like I've got to kind of cover all this ground and make the appropriate references before I dive into the music. And although there will be a couple of spoken elements to this particular show, I don't know that I'm going to have the same kind of uh, audio spoken clips jumping in. This will feel maybe a little bit less like my normal uh, MP3 player or phone listening experience. It's going to be more like a targeted playlist, and we'll see that as we go. The different drummer will come along at the end, and of course, um, she's not a musician this time. So um, there'll be a few differences for that reason. So let me start with, uh, after referencing Jimmy Cliff and uh, the introduction to the show, Piece of the Pie, let's talk about what we're not going to do, because I could easily do Marvin Gaye here and what's going on. Uh, deals somewhat with the war protest angle, but also deals with kind of just the way we interact with each other in general. It's a much broader picture and a fantastic song. I'm probably also going to ignore Marvin Gaye when I get to the very end of this Sound Up series looking at environmentalism, and I, I don't have to because what's going on refers to the environment. Mercy, mercy, mercy me, the ecology refers to the environment. I'm not going to be giving Marvin Gaye his due. 
except to talk about him <laughs> here and now. I'm also going to stay away from the music of Garth Brooks. I mentioned a couple of shows back that it just made sense to not give any shout-outs to Metallica because of the way they manage their relationship with critics. And Garth Brooks is the same way. It's just easier to just leave him out for that reason. But in some ways, I'm going to give him a backwards kind of a compliment through his collaborative relationship with Stephanie Davis. Now, Stephanie Davis is a country music recording artist in her own right, and the songwriter of many of my favorite songs by Garth Brooks. Wolves is one of them, and Wolves is a song that can be read like a protest song, uh, certainly a pro-farmer kind of an anthem. That kind of goes back to Inappropriate Conversations number 5, April 2010, first part of the show, one of the first overtly religious-focused episodes of the show right in there, and that one was called The Least of These. It's actually The Least of These and why the Danzig song Godless absolutely rocks. To me, an important moment in the beginning and the formation of inappropriate conversations. My different drummer was Stephanie Davis, and it was the first time I called a different drummer out, less because of being a musical performer and more strictly for the songs. Because the song I'd like to name drop here, an important song when it comes to the notion of the voice we give to minorities, relationship across the racial divide, um, the way law and order is misused and has been misused throughout my lifetime by politicians, is uh, the Garth Brooks song, We Shall Be Free. And I'm citing Garth Brooks as the performer, but it's really more Stephanie Davis as the writer that I find compelling. When the last child cries for a crust of bread... When the last man dies for just words that he said. When there's shelter over the poorest head, we shall be free. When the last thing we notice is the color of skin, and the first thing we look for is the beauty within. When the skies and the oceans are clean again, then we shall be free. These are the kind of thoughts um, and notions inside the song Stephanie Davis wrote for Garth Brooks to record. So it's worth kind of giving a nod in the direction of Stephanie Davis right at the start of this show. Here's another place that I won't be going that probably would apply to this notion of law and order and uh, being uh, kind of standing up to the police state. It's rage against the machine, killing in the name of. In a perfect world, if I had more time, a little bit more freedom to explore, this might be where rage against the machine popped in. Joni Mitchell, I've spoken about before, shared the lyrics before in conversation for her song, No Apologies. Inappropriate Conversations number 113, Raised on Robbery, is the name of it, from February of 2013. And it looked not just at the way uh, there's racial abuse from the powerful in our society toward uh, black people, but also in this case it was military uh, misbehaviors, cover-ups, uh, racist insensitivity toward Japanese people in situations where uh, U.S. servicemen stationed in Japan had committed a rape, and the generals who were called to sort of account for this crime basically said, yes, the, uh, the, the servicemen erred in judgment, they should have hired a hooker instead. It didn't address the core issue of sexual violence being perpetrated against an innocent person. The Native American situation plays a role here. I don't have a ton of music that I can turn to and look at. I will play a song later on and actually include in the body of this inappropriate conversation with a band that is kind of cross-genre, genre-blending Native American rock. The one I won't get to today is also a former different drummer. It's the song White Man by Queen, uh, Freddie Mercury, the front man. I won't drop the reference to the past show that included Freddie Mercury 
believe it was uh, eulogy for homophobia number 109 off the top of my head. I'm not going to look it up because I believe White Man wasn't written by Mercury. I think it was one of Brian May's songwriting credits. But again, uh, the lead singer taking on the persona of an American Indian and uh, at the time maybe of uh, maybe Andrew Jackson's America. The mentality of standing up against people that were perceived perhaps rightly as invaders by the by the Native American people, the indigenous people of this continent, uh, the time that the United States had formed and solidified and was beginning to expand and grow. The one example that I kind of regret the most, not having something to share from, though, is Charles Mingus, Fables of Falbus. And there's a couple reasons why I'm not sharing a particular clip from this one. And it's the, to my shame, maybe, the version that I have of this song is the instrumental one, released on the compact disc Mingus Aum. In other words, I don't have the one that includes the lyrics and the explicit language lyrics expressing the anger at segregation and, frankly, the fact that the President of the United States during Eisenhower's term had to send in armed troops to force the governor of Arkansas to comply with the very beginning stages of school desegregation. Fabus being that governor, Fables of Fabus being Mingus's writing both musically and lyrically to express his anger at that situation. I just don't own the right version to be able to share a good clip from that right now, and it's something I do intend to rectify in the near future. It's not like I shy away from explicit language. Just about every one of these Sound of Protest you know, series, including this one, Sound of Disorder, will include explicit language. I think it's important at the moment of protest and resistance to give yourself permission to speak freely. It is the way I've replied every time, including in church settings when people have asked me the question about why I listen to music that is frank and explicit from time to time, why I'm not afraid of the the language in R-rated movies, why I don't shy away from books that have uh, sexual themes or realistic dialogue of people in particular places and times, whether they be historical kind of period pieces or even more modern, why I have an essay in written form occasionally. Again, well, I guess I'll sum it up. I give myself permission to speak freely. And that means I give myself permission to listen freely as well. So there is no earthly reason why I haven't gone down the route of this particular uh, marathon song, this long, impressive opus by Charles Mingus before. That needs to be fixed. So the first song I'm actually going to play in this particular sound of disorder, uh, besides the opener, is a direct callback. Inappropriate Conversations number 78 uh, was an episode that was January of 2012. Billy Holiday was the different drummer, and that episode was in every way about protest, that there's plenty to protest out there and we shouldn't be shy about speaking up. It was support, in other words, for the Occupy movement. I never actually really got to the point as a citizen of being tired of the Occupy movement or thinking the Occupy movement had made some kind of mistake. It wasn't like it had turned into one of those uh, property-destroying rampages, most of the acts of overt violence performed in the context of the Occupy movement were performed by law enforcement. Now, was there civil disobedience? Yes. Were there laws like trespass being broken? Yes. But that is not the same thing as uh, pepper-spraying a large group of students who are doing nothing more than sitting on the sides of the sidewalk in sort of a show of unanimity, a, a kind of a show of of joint opposition. So uh, Billie Holiday got her shout out there. I won't go into much more detail except to say that I still feel as strongly now 
as I did then, that Strange Fruit is arguably one of the greatest American protest songs of all time. Neil Young touched on it in the Different Drummer segment a few shows back when I talked about the song Southern Man. Strange Fruit just flat out does it better.
kind of wasn't intentional, but I followed up the Billie Holiday track with a group of rock artists who all have uh, an introductory article to their name. The Clash, Know Your Rights, the first song from their combat rock album, the first Clash album I ever bought. The Beatles, Piggies, from White Album. The Boomtown Rats, The Elephant's Graveyard. Could have done much more with the Boomtown Rats, even just from their Mondo Bongo LP. Banana Republic is a very incisive political kind of a diatribe in a, in a sort of a reggae musical setting. And for those who have more of a Great Britain perspective, another piece of red is a short ballad from the Boomtown Rats, kind of bemoaning the fact that England took its eye off the ball and was now no longer a player on the world political stage. To me, the one that fits best with this theme of standing up for justice and what happens when the courts align themselves not with truth, but with uh, protecting the power of the privileged majority, you get a song like The Elephant's Graveyard from the Boomtown Rats. I'll let them speak for themselves. I think the themes are in many ways overt and blunt in all three songs. Know Your Rights, Piggies, and The Elephant's Graveyard. But what it kind of leads me to is, is my sense here that I think we need to be doing a better job of listening to the things that are being said by people who find themselves having a completely different experience in law enforcement interactions than the rest of us do. And I think that's where we probably drop the ball. Looking at a situation like the Trayvon Martin Zimmerman case, the George Zimmerman case, and picking a side there, I think we could probably look at it from both perspectives and weigh them and say, who started this fight? Because it doesn't really matter whether Zimmerman was on the losing end of the fight if he started it, right? And I've shared those ideas before in previous episodes of Inappropriate Conversations. I do want to refer to a blog post here, though, because I think I have at least made an effort to try to understand what it might mean to be on the wrong side of the law for no other reason than not being the right kind of person in the eyes of that particular sheriff's officer or city police officer, and whether that be based on anything. So we can decide that color of skin doesn't matter or age doesn't matter or you know, a recent immigrant status, the ability to speak the language doesn't matter. I don't care why a police officer might make a judgment to treat somebody else differently from me. The different treatment belies, underlies, betrays the idea of due process and equal justice under the law. On July 22nd, 2015, I put out a blog post on inappropriateconversations.org called, Apparently, It's a Game of Inches. I realize whenever I see this headline now, it sounds like it's going to be a post about sports, and it could be, because that's one of the great sports cliches. Every sport comes down to a game of inches. But no, at the Inappropriate Conversations website, under Articles, which is where all the blog posts are kind of grouped together, a few pages back is this July entry. Fastest way to go there is just go to the July 2015 uh, page from the archives. And apparently it's a game of inches, deals with situation I had with a routine traffic stop that made me wonder if my discomfort, if other factors which the police officer couldn't possibly know that seemed to be making me act strangely, if I was a bit younger, different race, driving in a neighborhood that wasn't normally my neighborhood, a couple of different factors, you switch, and that could have been a lethal traffic stop. I explain it all in some detail in this blog post, but it came down to me feeling like I was being shaken down a little bit, for want of a better word. I don't really make a justice plea in the article. I simply paid the fine and moved on because I'm privileged enough to have enough economic security to handle 
dropping three or four hundred dollars on making a problem go away. And I'm not saying that I was in any way in the right here. I had forgotten to register my vehicle and months had gone by with the lapse in judgment not being caught by me. But I think that, again, my level of distraction, my level of discomfort, my unexplained sense of urgency, you put all that together with me being a black teenager and this being an elderly white sheriff's officer, and you just wonder if I don't make him nervous enough for that whole occasion to go much, much worse than it actually did. All I'm saying here is we need to listen better. We need to be willing to do what Jesus said. Walk a mile in the other guy's shoes. Turn the other cheek. Look at it from the other person's perspective. Or what I've always said. Try to hold people in unconditional positive regard. And one of the ways I think we can do that is maybe will sound ironic to some people. But I think one of the best ways to do that is to listen to rap music. In rap, a set of artists, whether they be singers or lyricists or even musicians, have given themselves a new musical genre. And by new, I mean, you know, decades old, but a relatively new musical genre where it is possible to cram more words, more thoughts, and more ideas onto the page at one time than in any other form of music. Not necessarily bound by an A-B-A-B-C-A musical structure. Not stuck with chorus and verse. Not even really needing to rhyme, although much of it does willfully and intentionally rhyme. Because the main thing is, because it's spoken, and spoken quickly, that even somebody who hates rap and would like to dismiss it as verbal diarrhea has got to acknowledge that even that negative detrimental phrase conveys the idea that a ton of information, including a ton of information that people might prefer to not have to face, can be put in front of you in a way that you absolutely positively have to deal with. In the last Inappropriate Conversations show, I named Lin-Manuel Miranda as the different drummer. And let's be honest, he's named different drummer primarily for Hamilton. But the interesting thing about Hamilton is he said he chose the musical genre he did, not just because he felt like the material was leading him there, that the volume of words that Hamilton tended to write and to speak lended him toward getting those ideas in place in a hip-hop way. But the bottom line is hip-hop gave him the ability to put more information into a two-hour and 20-minute musical than he otherwise might be able to do if he picked any other form of the musical theater genre to work within. So I'm going to intentionally give a nod to rap. I'm going to play my favorite rapper, my favorite rappers in Public Enemy, their most famous song. But I'm going to start with my favorite song, which is not their most famous song. And then I'm going to end it up with Ice-T and Body Count. Another shout-out to Inappropriate Conversations number 124, Harder Core Than Thou. And what might actually be on this topic of Law & Order, my favorite song of the whole lot. Certainly my favorite rap song of the whole lot. So let's take this in an intentionally hip-hop direction with Public Enemy and Ice-T. Back to black attack, so I sack and jab and slap the Mac. Now I'm ready 
Get your head ready instead of 
I never had Controlling, fear, power rolling God bless your soul and keep living Never allowed, kicking it loud Dropping a bomb, brain game, intellectual being Now move as a team, never move alone But well, welcome to the Teradome <laughs> Yo, look at you, look at you now You ain't wondering this to me Now look at you Boing. Hello? Yes, hello. Yes, um, I think that white rubles like yourself have difficulty understanding that Chuck's views represent uh, the frustrations of the majority of black youth out there today. I do understand that. Yeah, but before he came on, you were brain... Well, if you had read the stuff I'd read about him uh, and the way he's been portrayed in the American uh, press... Yet our best trained, best educated, best equipped, best prepared troops refuse to fight. Matter of fact, it's safe to say that they would rather switch than fight. Thank you. 
Sometimes I sit at home, you know, and I watch TV, and I wonder what it would be like to live someplace like, you know, the Cosby Show, Ozzy and Harriet. You know where cops come and got your cat out of the tree, all your friends died of old age. But you see, I live in South Central Los Angeles, and unfortunately.
37 kids killed in gang warfare in my backyard. Come out to show them, 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 come out to
Of course, that set included more than just Public Enemy and Ice-T. As I let things go, it included a song that I think is really a crucial theme for us here, 801, Phil Manzanera's group, Law & Order. I also included some clips of the tape loop work of classical music composer Steve Reich, Come Out. Now, Steve Reich was the uh, featured different drummer in Inappropriate Conversations 129, That came out in September of 2013. It was a look at biblical literacy or biblical illiteracy. And Steve Reich was the perfect different drummer for that because this same period of his career, he was doing tape loop work with street preachers. And I was able to use It's Gonna Rain from him as different drummer music to bring us kind of in and out of that segment. But frankly, my favorite work of Steve Reich in this realm of tape loop and tape loop displacement is come out. He actually has uh, a recorded voice from the very front lines of what back then and probably the 60s had been the the way racial minorities are treated by police. And in this case, it was somebody who had been arrested for rioting and said that uh, he was injured, might have even had a broken bone, needed to get hospital treatment, but the police were going to leave him, broken bone or potential broken bone, notwithstanding Uh, in a jail cell. So he basically kind of broke open the place where the wound was so that he would be bleeding, so they would have to deal with him as a bleeding prisoner and take him to get treatment for his injuries. Injuries, I'm presuming, he received at the end of a police club, no less. Come Out is based on that little piece of recorded tape. I had to open the bruise up and let some of the bruised blood come out to show them. And by taking the Come Out to show them in particular piece of that out of phase, it becomes positively, and in many ways, magnificently percussive. But instead, let me focus a little bit on 801, because while Phil Manzanera is a past different drummer, uh, I didn't didn't name him so much for his work with the group 801, as I was looking at Christmas and holiday music and talking about his work as the executive producer of The Players, a group of uh, sort of a street musician-sounding group of Christmas holiday songs. And so instead, 801 probably didn't get its due, and maybe it's time I gave 801 just a little bit of its due. 801 was a supergroup of sorts, created from former members of Roxy Music, uh, Brian Eno being the former member, Phil Manzanera, current member actually at the time, and other musicians, uh, known probably best for their live performances, which frankly have a variety of sound quality issues, some very good, some not so good at all. They did do one studio album that I truly love, though. They might have done more than one, but the studio album I would refer to is Listen Now. And the title track of Listen Now also would make a very nice protest song for uh, the notion of protest and resistance. But I've chosen the song Law and Order, and if, if anything, it's probably just a little bit too much on the head. It's a little bit too much on the nail, with words and music by Bill McCormick and Phil Manzanera. Saw your face on TV. You said, it's all right. Have no fear. I'm here. Panics ended. Your rights defended from those who tried to tell you about the other side of life, the strife that's going on. Go to sleep now. Count your sheep now. With us, the dream will never end. It's easy to take what you were told. They said we need law and order. But now all your lives are bought and sold. And just for some law and order? Now the days grow colder. The plans they've got for you are clear, so clear. You're not so sure you want that cure. And those who tried to tell you about the shit that's going down are found out on the moor. 
but just don't ask how. The curfew starts now. Get off the streets and bolt the door. We'll get away from here one day. We'll take you across the border. There's got to be some place we can stay where they don't need law and order. Sound familiar? This, in many ways, is an answer to Donald Trump's campaign speeches about crime long before those speeches were actually ever written, or if, even if they were written down, whether they were given. Are these part of his his uh, really bad improv shtick, or was this a political strategy that was written down and planned in advance? But I will tell you that this notion of cracking down on rioters and looting Call back once again to that inappropriate conversations from January of 2015. You got to ask your question, well, what are the rioters mad about? <laughs> what, what would have led to the point of feeling like there's no other hope but to burn everything down and start over again? What happened there? We need to be asking the question before the question and the next question back and the next question back. I think what you're going to find in some of the cases, in fact, many, if not most of the cases, is that this rioting perhaps isn't defensible but makes sense when you know the context. And then you have to go back and say, well, why did we make those choices? Why did we decide to do the things we did that left an entire group of feeling, people feeling so disenfranchised that they headed to the streets? And if they headed to the streets to peacefully protest, joined, if not led in some ways, by pastors and other clergy in peaceful, prayerful protest, why did those stop being peaceful? Was it that we tear-gassed those people? Was it that we imposed a curfew? That we made some of impossible for some of them to get to their work shifts because of our military law and order National Guard in the streets? And in Ferguson, Missouri, is just one example. Was that the response meant to deal with a potentially violent situation? Or was that a response meant to tell a group of people who already lacked political power that there was no way they were allowed to ask questions? The questions they were asking were dangerous because those questions might actually reveal something potentially embarrassing, if not even extremely embarrassing, to people who were sitting in positions of power, using that power abusively to make sure that those questions weren't getting asked peacefully. And if they got asked at all, they'd be asked violently. So then we could point to the violence and decry the violence as a justification for everything that had gone before it. This is Law and Order Playbook 101, and it's reprehensible. I mentioned in the previous inappropriate conversation during the different drummer segment that I would get back to Mayor Ed Koch of New York City in the next episode. And we are here because to me, one of the great protest songs of the very troubled and deeply problematic singer songwriter Michelle Schacht is Graffiti Limbo. And it's a classic example of how do 11 white police officers who have arrested a graffiti artist and have this black man in custody how does that man end up strangled to death with no one held accountable? Why do 11 police officers armed with clubs and guns and perhaps even tasers back then, not sure, need to strangle somebody to death in an arrest scenario? And what happens if the crime of killing somebody in your custody never gets punished? Michelle Schacht asks these questions and more in her song, Graffiti Limbo. Yeah, 
in a big blank wall And I can guarantee There ain't no cops around at all Graffiti limbo For myself, but the word around town is that something's shaking, yeah, in the underground. I only speak for myself, but the word on the street is that the writing's on the wall, yeah, and the cops on the beat. Graffiti limbo. Michael Stewart was a young black graffiti artist who was arrested while writing graffiti on a subway wall in New York City. While under arrest, in the presence of 11 white transit cops, Michael Stewart was strangled to death. When his case was heard by the grand jury, you know, not one cop was found guilty. The coroner lost the evidence and those cops on the streets again Oh, you can have your little style, war boys Yes, and you can keep your little dance But those crazy riders They don't stand a ghost of a chance No, it's color them cons That's what Mayor Koch said He said, call it a crime And now it's steer clear of the engineer On that midnight special line Graffiti limbo Where do you go? Graffiti limbo When there ain't no justice Is real, got to bury the hatchet, bones, no casket. The dead don't dance to a liar's message. So restless, cross it off my checklist. But with the warfare, I bear with horse, Harry's reckless. Acts like he's got a dead wish. True, you 
good, checking the tricks, shirt, laws of nature, all your creatures, turn at the most high, willing to wage my plan, and I'm stick to it, I'm a ultimate, liberate my consciousness, I want to change, I will make a change. Yes, my list of distractions is infinite. My delusion to grandeur all equipped with dark horse, back horse, and some wizard shit. Well, I did not know they were gonna choose me, and I ought to take myself more seriously. Cause what comes through me will lay no trick. And I know that all the puzzle bum with different gifts. So lift yourself from top to take a couple steps back. On an abstract attack up beneath the craft. I didn't come here on the throne, not drag my feet. Standing quicksand with pants, I'd accept defeat. Got work to do, let me get back at it. The clock is ticking. I can You do the static now, I'm being dramatic, enemies don't sleep. In fact, some are human and that's hard to believe. Cause I'm such a visual person, my third eye don't lie. He's a wise guy inside, even fooled himself twice. He can maybe I'm not ready to be leading the way. I mean, fuck, I'm only human, but that makes that mistake. An earthquake took place. Well, I'm a lifetime of fear. I get it to show past. The beginning is near. I want to change. I will make a change. If I make it up But I keep tripping over ditches of my selfishness Wanna pass that fist to a pacifist I keep beating my neck, pushing to the face in it So I'm facing it, some gladiator shit Yeah, I'm ripping up a rhythm, think I'm heating it But it's non-stop knocks from the mountaintops To the city block, to the tank stop and block Nothing but the got shot dead on the sidewalk Where your cops do it inside jobs and I'm shit So my hands stretch out to the sky Got the horns in my left and a gun in my right My eyes are crossed over bulletproof rock Cause I know I didn't come to make it out I followed Graffiti Limbo up with Nako and the Medicine for the People and a song called Make a Change. It's from their 2016 album, Hoka. And this is new to me, and that's, I guess, fair enough, because it was barely more than a year old. But I was not aware of Nako and the Medicine for the People before even just maybe the last three or four months. And I'm still finding my way, but thought that it made sense to include them here, because this is both an expression of anger and 
a decision to do something about that anger takes us perhaps a positive shift, which I think is is kind of nice. It's also a Native American rock band, which calls back to the reference I made in the very beginning to the song White Man by Queen. Chose not to share that particular perspective because I knew that I had this particular Make a Change song coming my way a little bit later. And I made a note to myself that this might be the place where I would have dropped a true spoken word clip, but I just didn't want to take the time to dig it up and go there, and it didn't necessarily seem perfectly consistent with this topic of disorder, of it being okay to be against the traditional cliched law and order mentality out there. And if and if that means that this is a voice not just of, of resistance and protest and opposition, but it's also disorder, that there comes a time when a little bit of disorder is appropriate. And the clip I would have shared here that was a sound clip would have been Monty Python from the Holy Grail and the Constitutional Peasants segment. It includes the great line of dialogue delivered by Michael Palin, who says that strange women lying in ponds distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. Still as true today as it was funny then. But I know a lot of people, both in Great Britain and in the United States of America, who might right now be willing, for just a few years, to trade in what we've been doing for centuries for, I don't know, strange women and pawns distributing swords. It couldn't get much worse than it has been in, say, the last six to nine months. Come gather around people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown And accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone For the times they are a-changing Some writers and critics who prophesize with your pen And keep your the chance won't come again And don't speak too soon For the wheel's still in spin And there's no telling Who that it's naming Was the loser now Will be later to win For the times They are a-changing Senators, congressmen, please heed the call Don't stand in the doorway, don't lock up the hall For he that gets hurt will be he who has stalled The battle outside region Will soon shake your windows and rattle your walls For the times they are a-changing Mothers and fathers throughout the land And don't criticize what you can't understand Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command Your old road is rapidly aging Please get out of the new one if you can't lend your hand For the times they are a-changing
down, the curse it is cast. The slow one now will later be fast as the present now will later be past. The order is rapidly fading, and the first one now will later be last for the times they are changing. So I went old school with a classic there, Bob Dylan, The Times They Are A-Changin'. I don't know that Bob Dylan's protest songs need much introduction. Uh, the one thing I would say about Dylan is that we probably should not take him for granted. That it's too easy to look at the songs from an historical perspective or to view them as part of music history and to not remember that these are words which I think we need to take to heart. If we wanted to put a voice behind the current need for there to be expressions of Resistance and protest, social disorder, nonviolent protests. Maybe Bob Dylan gives us some of those words. Maybe he's the perfect way for me to introduce a different drummer. So the times they are a change and will play us in, blowing in the wind, perhaps predictively will play us out. Looking at a particular time and place for Bob Dylan, because my different drummer this week isn't a musician and doesn't have that particular kind of voice. And in many ways, I'm citing her as a different drummer, particularly because of the fact that she really, historically, has barely been given a voice. Her name is Claudette Colvin. I will not be surprised if most of us had not heard of her and cannot tell us right off the bat who she is and why she's important. And that in and of itself is the reason I'm naming her. In the notion of being sort of a political thinker of sorts, the different drummer. I heard about her in church only about a month or so ago. The pastor was talking in sort of these kind of terms and wanted to use her as an example of us looking at things just a little bit more deeply, not necessarily trusting that the cliches we hear are the full and total story. Here's what Wikipedia says about Colvin, and it's consistent with what I heard from, let's call it the pulpit. Claudette Colvin, born in 1939, was a pioneer of the civil rights movement. On March 2nd, 1955, she was arrested for refusing to give up her seat on a bus in segregated Montgomery, Alabama. This is nine months prior to Rosa Parks. Now, Colvin is still alive today and living in New York City. But it's important that we note that she was born in Montgomery, Alabama, and lived at that crucial time. And not to put too fine a point on it, but her situation, similar as it was to Rosa Parks, happened nine months prior to Rosa Parks. And this is the point that my pastor was making from the pulpit. It'd be wrong for us to assume that no person was ever put in a situation of being humiliated on a bus in the American South, and that Rosa Parks was the first one and she was the first one to stand up. Or that she wasn't the first one to be put in that situation, but she was the first one to say, no, I will not move and stand up to the authorities that way. No, there were others, perhaps many others, perhaps many unnamed others. And though I don't know that it's actually historically true for me to say with confidence that Claudette Colvin was the first one to say, no, I won't be moved. She was, in any case, before Rosa Parks. It gets very interesting when we try to understand maybe why Parks is famous and Colvin is not. And that reason why I think is going to lead us to an understanding of why I'm citing events from, say, 2014 to now and playing the music of disorder when it comes to race relations in America and how it all ties together. Because 
as Americans, we're more than happy to try to live peacefully with a whitewashed vision of Martin Luther King Jr. because we hear the words he says and we know what happened after and some of those results we're quite pleased by and therefore we can tie ourselves into a Martin Luther King Jr. who doesn't seem very dangerous to us. MLK is nowhere near as dangerous as, say, Malcolm X, for example. And I will tell you that Rosa Parks, in the broad scheme of things, appeared nowhere near as dangerous as Claudette Colvin. Back to Wikipedia. Calvin was among the five plaintiffs originally included in the federal court case filed by civil rights attorney Fred Gray in 1956 as Browder versus Gale. And she testified before the three-judge panel that heard the case in the United States District Court. In June of that year, the judges determined that the state and local laws requiring bus segregation in Alabama were unconstitutional. The case went to the U.S. Supreme Court, which upheld their ruling in December of 1956. Colvin was the last witness to testify. Three days later, the Supreme Court issued an order to Montgomery and the state of Alabama to end bus segregation, and the Montgomery bus boycott was called off. For many years, Montgomery's black leaders did not publicize Colvin's pioneering effort because she was a teenager, she was reportedly pregnant by a married man. However, she actually did not become pregnant until later. Words like feisty and mouthy and emotional were used to describe her, while her older counterpart, Rosa Parks, was viewed as being calm, well-mannered, and studious. Because of the social norms of the time and her youth, the NAACP leaders decided that they were worried about using her to symbolize their boycott. Colvin is quoted as saying this, Young people think Rosa Parks just sat down on a bus and ended segregation, but that wasn't the case at all. Colvin was perhaps first, maybe, certainly earlier, to sit down and refuse to move, and in the process of doing that, was one of the people who were key you know, witnesses testifying at multiple levels of cases as this worked its way through to ultimately the U.S. Supreme Court. But it's noteworthy that she was de-emphasized, set aside, and in some ways almost historically forgotten because of being, well, young and feisty and mouthy and emotional. We've decided as a country... That if a black person whose rights have been trampled on is angry about it, that's unacceptable. They need to be, um, well, they need to be like a, a pastor. They need to be as trained in nonviolent resistance as Martin Luther King Jr. was. We take this for granted sometimes, right? But I consider it to be just a fact that the more time you spend teaching other people something, the better you learn it. That somebody who's learned something and then never has to share that knowledge with somebody else will have over time, if not almost immediately, a diminished understanding to the person who was actively involved in preaching it and teaching it. Nobody was better, probably, at nonviolence and understanding how it worked and the, the powerful impact it could have than Martin Luther King Jr., not just because he tried to model it with varying degrees of success, but he also was actively involved in teaching it. You line him up against an angry teenager you're going to get a very different response from the general public. Now, this may be just so much a fact of life that it's not worth arguing about, but to me it's telling. Because if you're an elected official in a place like, say, Baltimore, Maryland, or suburban St. Louis, Missouri, and you can figure out how to make the people who are politically opposed to you and have a compelling argument and are beginning to win in the battle of public opinion, if you can somehow insult them enough, aggravate them enough, tear gas them enough, mistreat them enough that they strike out violently against you, well then suddenly 
you've made that Parks-Colvin divide. You've silenced Rosa Parks, and now you can point to Claudette Colvin and say whether she was illegally asked to get off a bus or not doesn't matter, because she's just a mouthy teenager. What does she know? Living that, by embodying that, and by in some ways overcoming that, by cooperating with the lawyers who were running the case that ultimately made such a transforming difference in the American South, Colvin is undeniably an unsung hero and an example of the appropriate use of disorder. I respect her not just for refusing to be moved on that day. I don't disrespect her for being young and angry and feisty and mouthy and bold and insistent. But at the same time, I also respect her having the wisdom, maybe wisdom beyond her years, to let things follow the course that the leadership of the movement sought. I just don't think that she should be forgotten, not just for being an earlier example of this same kind of resistance, but somebody who was intentionally shoved aside for no other reason than how it might look from a PR perspective. I personally long for the day that we're judging people, not just by the content of their character instead of the color of their skin, but that we could take that content of their character one step further and not presume that somebody has to put on the right makeup and appropriate the right kind of demeanor in order to be heard, that it's okay for us to hear angry voices. It's okay for Ice-T and his band Body Count to be mad about police brutality. In fact, to have any other point of view about it is to be on the wrong side of history. How many roads must a man walk down Before you call him a man How many seas must a white dove sail Before she sleeps in the sand Isn't how many times must the cannonballs fly Before they're forever banned The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind The answer is blowing in the wind Isn't how many years can a mountain exist Before it is washed to the sea Isn't how many years can some people exist Before they're allowed to be free Isn't how many times can a man turn his head And pretend that he just doesn't see the answer my friend is blowing in the wind the answer is blowing in the wind yes and how many times must a man look up before He can see the sky Yes, and how many ears Must one man have Before he can hear people cry Yes, and how many deaths Will it take till he knows That too many people have died 
answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. I may have already crossed the line somewhere in this inappropriate conversation with a lot of people. I find that there are two things that I can do to make some of my oldest friends stop and disengage with me for a while. One of them is to speak too boldly about racial reconciliation and racial equality and the mistreatment of minorities in our society. And the other one is to raise some of those same questions and concerns on behalf of gays and lesbians. It doesn't say anything about me. It says perhaps far too much about those old friends and perhaps family members. I won't go there. Because I don't know that even playing the music of Ice-T and Public Enemy, I've been terribly incendiary in this episode. But I'm about to do something by playing a group that could arguably qualify as church. They could certainly play their church credentials if they wanted to. I feel like I'm about to cross a line with them just by sharing their music. Sounds of Blackness is that group. They are among my favorite. I think they have been willfully positive throughout. And even in a protest song that I'm going to share next, they are still very positive, ticking most of the boxes in terms of being um, direct but respectful. But here's the deal. Just like it is wrong to say that Rosa Parks was the only or even the first person to stand up to busing segregation in Alabama, it is also wrong to say that the hands-up-don't-shoot narrative is inherently false. Because there were lots of people who were forced to the back of the bus, and lots of people who from time to time, said no to that and dealt with legal consequences or even uh, verbal or physical violence as a result of it. It wasn't just Parks and Colvin any more than it was just Parks who experienced that. So you can't tell me that hands up, don't shoot has never been said during a police interaction between um, a young minority person and a white police officer. And I don't even believe that it's beyond the realm of possibility that those words weren't said in the midst of one of these police shooting situations. We've seen so many of them that somewhere along the way, if we had perfect audio of every single one of them, I just reject the idea that hands up, don't shoot is a false narrative because of the testimony that a police officer like Darren Wilson self-servingly gave in a elephant's graveyard kind of courtroom banana republic situation in uh in the st louis county uh all those years ago in the darren brown killing case so no um black lives matter is the song by sounds of blackness it ties directly into these recent current current events that i've been talking about throughout this show and i won't be surprised if there's a lot of people who jump off the train and get angry with me for including a song that includes a hands up don't shoot or I can't breathe, got narrative plot line in it, because they so desperately want to believe that they are not part of a group that is on the wrong side of some of these issues. But there is absolutely no doubt in my mind. Go back and listen to Inappropriate Conversations 157. It is not that hard to find examples where there is clear police misconduct. And instead of doing something about it, calling it out, being able to grant that people who've had different experiences than me, perhaps because of the color of their skin or their age or the part of town they live in or the part of the country they live in, that we ought to be listening to these people. And if it's more comfortable for us to listen to the voices of those people in the context of what sounds like a gospel choir, well, then all the better. Because what I want to do here is share 
back to back, two tracks from Sounds of Blackness. One, this relatively recent Black Lives Matter song, and the other one, for the title track for my favorite of all their albums. And it's a reconciliation song, so it's fitting that I try once again to end on a positive note. Time for healing.
and colors Poison them against their sisters and brothers, yes
We don't have to agree with everything someone says to respect their voice, to make sure that they've got a voice, to stand up in resistance, and if need be, in acts of disorder against people who would try to silence their voice, especially if those people are trying to silence the voice of criticism because the voice of criticism might lead to, I don't know, reform. I don't separate sounds of blackness complaining about police brutality from sounds of blackness calling for us to bury the hatchet and find a way to heal the divide between us. You can't really have one without the other. It's the concept that Malcolm X has expressed in the past in multiple different ways that you can't have peace without justice. For example, you can't separate peace from freedom because no one can be at peace unless he has his freedom. Prospects for Freedom in 1965, New York City. So how do I want to end this in a way that is good in context with Jimmy Cliff's opening saying that there's going to be equal rights and justice or there's going to be a jungle? Well, Bob Marley, in the history of his work with the Whalers, had one genuinely great collaboration with Peter Tosh. And maybe there were more than one, but the one I think that's famous, the one that makes its way to the hits collection, is as much Tosh as Marley, truth be known. I'm going to play out this particular call for... Let's get a better understanding of what the other side of our society is dealing with, what that feels like, and whether standing up to the traditional conservative mindset about law and order makes sense, whether some disorder is appropriate. By ending the show with Get Up, Stand Up, Bob Marley and the Whalers, including the words of Peter Tosh. Thanks for listening. Get up, stand up, get up, stand up, don't give up the fight.
you sick and tired of your ism, schism, game, dying and go to heaven in Jesus' name, Lord. We know when we understand, Almighty God is a living man. You can fool some people sometimes, but you can't fool all the people all the time. So now we see the light. What you gonna we gonna stand up for? Yeah, yeah. So you better get up. This show is a proud member of the Pride 48 Podcasting Network. Check out other great podcasts at pride48.com slash shows.